0: I'm Jeff Cohen. Describing Jill Murray Reichman as multi-talented might be an understatement. She's a voice actor, stand-up comedian, stage film and TV actor, a singer and also a writer. She's had a lot of gigs over the years, and I'm really excited that today's gig is sharing the story of her career and her path to Jewish observance. So let's get started. Jill, welcome to Saturday to Shabbos.
1: Thank you so much, Jeff. I'm excited to be here.
0: That is the most number of things I've ever said about a person (laughs) in an introduction, so you are clearly (laughs) multi-talented.
1: Thank you. And we'll add uh, wife and mother to that, too, because that's something that two things that are very
0: important to me. That's true. I should have mentioned those in the the intro, but I'm sure we'll get to them over the course of the interview. And there are many parts of your career that I, of course, want to dive into. But with all of our guests, we like to get to know the person a little bit first. So give me a sense of where you're from, where you were born and raised.
1: I was born and raised in New Jersey during a time where you could just disappear on your bike for hours and come back to a wonderful home-cooked meal from your mother and we ate together at 6.30 every evening. I went to public school, I went to Hebrew school, I took ballet lessons. And then went off to college in Baltimore, to Goucher College, and stayed to work for a few years before moving to New York and living there for 25 years. And then the last 13 years, I've been in
0: Los Angeles. What are some of the things your family was doing in terms of like the Jewish parts of your life?
1: So I have a very interesting family. My grandfather, of Shalom, who was my best friend, was a rabbi. He came over here. He tried twice, the third time they let him in, the quotas were full for a couple of times. They didn't have my mother till they were in their 40s. So my mother was an only child, and we lived in an area called White Middle Lake in Rockaway, New Jersey, northwest, about 45 minutes west of New York City. So all our big things were in New York City. But it was a utopian community because the public schools were good, We had a shul, it was, we called it conservadox because the rabbi was orthodox, but we sat together. So the service was basically orthodox. Girls had bat mitzvahs, but it was Friday night without any brachas, and then the boys, of course, were Shabbos day. So my family on my mother's side were all Satmar Chasidim and Black Hat Borough Park. And on my father's side, they barely had any Jewish education. So my father married into this family and really wanted to be more and learn more. And he got that. We had one of the few kosher homes. Uh, We celebrated all the holidays, but we didn't really keep Shabbos fully. Like after we had our Shabbos meal, I went to my ballet lessons. So I felt it though. And I always knew I wanted more and thank God I got it. But I didn't want to go the black hat, the Hasidisha thing, you know, there. But Purim, we went to Williamsburg and we went to Borough Park and all the Chagim, all the holidays we celebrated with vigor. We had guests, my mother made special meals. It was really implanted in us how special being Jewish was. And it always meant a lot to me. And then I got a scholarship to go to Camp Ramah uh, in eighth grade. The top two people in Hebrew school got scholarships, thank God, because we didn't have the money. I'll add my father, who was nifter young, both my parents actually, had three heart attacks and two open heart surgeries. So he, it was a time, it was difficult. My grandfather was there, thank God, to pick up a lot of the pieces. But I am grateful that I learned what was important.
0: I've interviewed now so many musicians, performers, comedians, and I'm always curious to find out if at a very young age people saw something in them or they felt drawn to that for example i just interviewed mark schiff who i think you probably know out in california he's
1: amazing he's amazing
0: right so he tells a story of being maybe 11 or 12 and his parents take him to see rodney dangerfield and that's the minute he says (laughs) i'm going to be him like that's the career that i want did you have any of that at a young age
1: so i started out as a ballet dancer and at age five I said I'm gonna be a ballet dancer and my mother called around to see if anybody else was starting ballet at five and and all of our friends were starting ballet at five and I had the body for it you know it was tall and lean I had the talent for it I lived and breathed ballet and my mother would take me to the ballet and it was just oh magical and I was the first to go on and on toe shoes, point shoes, when I was 10, thank God we had a great teacher that wouldn't let you go on before that because of what it could do to your feet that were growing. And it was everything, and I was the top of the class, and I loved it, and I studied. And then, when I was 14, I went into a back brace for scoliosis. Aye. And I had to be in the brace for two solid years. And then my extensions weren't the highest, and my turns weren't the fastest, and I was very competitive and competitive with myself, and if I couldn't be the best, then I wasn't interested. Luckily, at the same time, when I was in third grade, I was in my first play in school. And I still remember my lines. And my mother even helped me. It was that I'm a rose. And she said, say, I'm a rose. And I got a laugh. And as I still do, that's nice. And I felt, this is acting. And I always felt very comfortable on stage. It wasn't one of these, oh, no, people are looking at me. I have something to say. Acting was something I knew was in my blood. My parents never encouraged it mm-hmm. because...
0: For practical reasons?
1: Practical. A smart Jewish girl does not go into show business. And I said, have you heard of Barbra Streisand? I said, like, <laughs> ring a bell. Maybe you heard the name. But I think parents worry. You know, how am I going to support myself? Am I going to get married? How, how do you go through life like that? They didn't want to have to worry. And then when I was 10... My mother signed herself up for guitar lessons in the summer, and she just couldn't figure it out. So she couldn't get her money back, so I had to go learn guitar. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God, we got a guitar with green stamps. I don't know if anybody knows what that is. You'd go shopping, and you'd spend a certain amount of money, and you got stamps, and you put them all in a book and traded them in for prizes. So needless to say, it wasn't the top of the line guitar, Mm -hmm. but I learned how to play, And I took those lessons, and what I loved was accompanying my voice to an instrument. So I learned popular songs, and then I was in talent shows then too, and I loved singing, and it was college, I was able to afford to take voice lessons for the first time. Believe it or not, you hear my voice is low. I am a high soprano. It's crazy. Uh, I have a high soprano voice, and I loved singing. So these are all the things I love to do. And we'll get to it later. But the show I finally ended up writing, producing and acting in has everything in it, the dancing, the singing and the acting.
0: So then as you're getting closer to the college years, and again, a reference back to other interviews I've done with people who are thinking of being a performer of some kind, they're at this like crossroads, am I going to go to a school to specialize in some kind of performing? Or am I going to now see it as a hobby? And I'm going to get a more practical education and they even bring up the parents who in some cases say go for your dream and in some cases say, "No, you need something to fall (laughs) back on so what what was going on at that period of your life?
1: So I did very well in school and I wanted to go to a fine college and thank god you know I went to Goucher College in Baltimore which was the perfect fit because then it was a women's college They had dance. I went to something they called Accepted Applicants Day, where you can actually see the classes going on and talk. And they had a dance studio, and it was amazing. And they had music, and it was amazing. I loved to write. I became an English literature major. My mother was on her knees begging me to go to law school. You'd be the best because you're acting in court. (laughs) That's where you, like, I did not buy it. And I did go into advertising, right after college, which did use a lot of my skills and would just go and create the jingles with the jingle companies, go to New York, go to Dallas, go. So it was exciting, but it was empty because I didn't get paid. I hardly made, you know, able to live and I didn't have time to meet anybody. I didn't have time to be fulfilled, you know, emotionally, spiritually. And then my father unexpectedly died. And I was 24. And I said, you know, I shouldn't be an actor and I shouldn't be this and I should be that. I'm not gonna wake up at 70 and say, when everybody else around me is gone, my family, and say, I didn't do and now I can't do. And I sold everything and I moved to New York. And I tried my hand at being an actor I was a hand model because someone saw my hands in advertising and I stood in and I said, okay, so I had pictures taken. I started getting work as that. I did costumes for an off-off Broadway show by a, the first play by a um, playwright named Jerry Sterner who ended up writing Other People's Money. I lived on 42nd Street, 8th Avenue. It was uh, scary but exciting. And I kept getting work doing different things and feeling like I always felt like I had Hashem on my shoulder, really guiding me, watching over me, whispering to me. And then I met my first husband and he suggested that I do stand up because it's a way to be on stage. And it was a big explosion in the 80s of stand up. And I was always a comic actress. I had the timing and always a writer. And From the time I started writing and performing, things started happening there.
0: Where is your Judaism at this point?
1: So I married someone who claimed he would be respectful of who I was and what I was, and that and a lot of other things turned out not to be the case. And he was unable to father children. So I thought, this is my life. I mean, I can't imagine going through life not... Being a mother, not having a partner and things that are important to me, I was welcome to join a shul by myself. He didn't want to do that either. And it was really hard because all the shuls in the neighborhood had families and it just kept driving home what I wouldn't have. So I was pretty much alone with this. I'd go home to New Jersey to be with my mother for the holidays. He wouldn't join me for that either. And so for a long time, I was really doing that by myself. And I knew something had to change. I I would go to my cousin still in Borough Park for Purim and come home and just feel, it was hard. It was really hard. And I didn't know how to get out of it. I had so much loss in my life that I didn't want any more loss. I wanted to figure out how to bring things in. Even if I had to do it by myself, even Yom Kippur, I would go to Kol Nidre alone. And things were getting lonelier and lonelier. And then my mother was Nifter. And I said, you know, there's too much I don't have in my life for this to continue. And it took me a long time to extricate myself from that marriage, but I did. And then that's when I started going to Bnei Cheshire, That's when I started connecting with other Jews in the area, that's when I started doing, oh, the first Pesach that my mother was no longer with us, no one thought to invite me for a Seder. And it was hard. And I started doing what I called my orphan Seder. Anyone who didn't have any place to go including say my upstairs neighbor who had hip surgery. She was much older, but she couldn't get, she's coming. Uh, My friends who married out and weren't gonna have a Seder will come to me. So I really got the feeling to not only do more, but do what I can more for other people. And then a rabbi in my building, a Chabad rabbi, invited me to go and I thought, you know, I'm gonna go. And, oh, I, I should mention that first he invited me for a Shabbos. So I went to a Shabbos dinner and I thought, I need to move to California. I mean, it's time. I've always wanted to live there. It's time to go. I'm going. I dated some people that it just didn't, it just wasn't my thing. They were, I needed the Judaism. I needed, I wanted a family. I. They needed to be everything that I needed them to be. And I, happened to be seated next to somebody who was incredibly good looking and very funny. And here he has a kippah and the Chabad rabbi said, oh, hey, comic, you think you're funny? You're sitting next to the funniest person that ever lived. And I look and all I could see are these green eyes and I started shaking like, and I said, what is this? I mean, I dated celebrities, I've been here, I've been there. No one phases me. People are people. And I'm shaking inside. I was just shaking. And what's so funny, we still laugh about it, is then it was time to bench. I hadn't benched since Camp Rama, you know, no, I mean, but fully with the kind of Kavana. And we're turning, we shared a bencher and we're turning the pages at the same rate. And we went, Whoa. <laughs> well, well, that's not nothing. And I left and I was, shaking and he told me his email and I got it wrong because it never went any and then his went into spam and I thought okay well there goes that so anyway I go to this rabbi for seder with my brother and there is this person he's back sat next to and he's sitting with his family and they thought that I was sitting with a husband and we're just like staring at each other because it was in a sea and we're at the opposite ends and we're just staring at each other. And then we ran around the table introducing ourselves and I said, I'm here with my brother. And the father turned to his wife and said, that's some gene pool. And then <laughs> then I found out more about him and found out that he was a director and he, he could have been a first AD on a big movie, but he was Shomer Shabbos and gave that up. And I'm like, this is the kind of person that moved me and then got what I did was close with his family like all of these things so we became really close friends and we'd have coffee every afternoon and talk and the last person I'd speak to first person I'd speak to in the morning and within three dates we said yep we made a wedding date which was the first day of Chanukah and now we have a son and uh, it's just 13 years that we're married
0: so I must admit, I'm hearing in the background a few noises that weren't there at the beginning of the interview. So I don't know what's going on in the background, but can you let us in on the secret of what's happening?
1: Yes, I am so sorry. So they are building a 17-unit apartment complex starting like five feet from my window. But I woke up today and I said, Baruch Hashem, they're not, they're not working today. And of course, in the middle of this, they decided to to start working again, so I really apologize. I'm so sorry.
0: I think it actually makes sense, because as a performer, you know it's all about timing, so the construction workers timed this perfectly for halfway through our interview.
1: Right, I don't know if you know the story that when Patty Duke did The Miracle Worker on Broadway, the set actually fell down around her, and she got a standing ovation because she didn't move a muscle. She was playing (laughs) Helen Keller. So you never know, you're right, when it's live, That's part of the excitement of being a live performer. You don't know what's gonna happen.
0: (laughs) So you also met someone who was religious, so it kind of gave you this opening to sort of like grow with him. Is that what started to to happen? Like were you having discussions about his level versus yours and what you were gonna be like as a family?
1: Yes, that's such a great question because he said there are three deal breakers. Kashrus, Shabbos, and Tahara hara And now I had never been Shomer Shabbos. I never understood why you had to. I'm very spiritual. I go to shul, then I go to Bloomingdale's. What's the difference? I carry that feeling with me through the day. It's not necessary to, anyway, it was a deal breaker. And he was actually in Australia a few weeks before the wedding. And that was the Shabbos I said, I'm now unplugging. And to be very honest, I felt like I was going to the chair. I was terrified, absolutely terrified. And it sounds like a novel, but the moment I unplugged, I never felt freer. So we moved to Los Angeles a couple months after we were married. And I, we liked having guests for Shabbos, older singles. And then I booked my first pilot, And I was so excited and they were gonna call and tell me what my wardrobe was for, so this was a Friday, they said Friday morning, we'll let you know. So I had my phone with me, but I was cooking for 11 guests for that Shabbos. And they didn't call and I forgot to turn my phone off and I had it in the kitchen and all through dinner, the phone was ringing and my husband would look at me and shrug, Hashem runs the world. And I said, okay. And I got messages after Shabbos that started with, you know, I'm trying to call you, you know, we need to do your wardrobe. It's Tuesday, you know, oh, oh, Jill. Hi. Sorry. I just spoke to your manager. I found out you observe the Sabbath. Please forgive me. I hope I didn't bother your dinner. And whenever you can get back to me, I know we can make it work. And that was a wonderful, wonderful experience of letting go and knowing Hashem runs the world. And... And it's making me cry, but that is like, that's what's most important. And Hashem has always shown himself to me. And it's why my life feels so rich. It's why my life feels so full. It's why every day has something beautiful in it. And I feel so grateful that Hashem put in my path next to me, A man, first of all, who was willing to take the chance with a woman who's 13 years older and that we still had a family and that we we communicate as if, you know, we grew up together and his family sees that we were meant to be together. So Hashem is in everything.
0: For sure. And, you know, we've talked a lot about your career, but we haven't brought it to life yet. And you were kind enough to share a few clips with us. I want to play a couple of them and then give you a chance to talk about these performances.
1: Okay, well, let let me first tell you that I thought about this show that I ended up performing recently. Must be like 15 years. I was thinking about when I was in this unhappy marriage where whenever I would reach a great success in life, he became very mean to me because narcissistic, mean, that kind of thing. And I, I found that there were other people in these situations. And when I left this marriage, and I really started to think about what that was, I said, I, I would speak to women and women would open up. And I said, you know what, you never know whose life is wonderful, and who's really suffering. And I put it in terms of, who is free and who's dancing in a cage. And I said, you know, I think there's a show here. And so I created three characters that I wove my story in here and there. The first one I called The Happy Homemaker, uh, who was at a housewarming and, and helping with decorating and in between saying, I would love these curtains, but I was bullied into Venetian blinds. And that character was very much me. The second one is a kept woman who I actually met. And I felt so bad for her because she was trying to tell me how great her life was. And she's smoking pot at nine in the morning and she's drinking at 11. And, oh, this is great. I have this money and I have this wardrobe. And I thought, I have never met a sadder person, but what a great character. So I said, yeah, I'm going to put that aside. And. I should mention that after I was divorced and I was dating, I met somebody who I thought, oh, it was Besheret because his mother and my mother grew up together and we'll, and he ended up uh, sort of kind of helping himself to my bank account. So he Aye. he stole from me, he did all these terrible things. And so I created a character that is a woman from Eastern Europe that actually I met my housekeeper Said you know I was the wife of diplomat now I'm cleaning lady, and I created this woman and woven created a story for her, some of which was my story, a lot was hers, and she's the one who had to turn to Hashem. And how that was part of my story was that when I found out that this boyfriend had pretty much cleaned me out. I was literally on my knees, sobbing, pounding my couch, crying to Hashem, what did I do? Just tell me what I did. Tell me what I did to deserve this, and, and I'll change it. I'll, what did I do? But what happened was, because I had no money left, I had to sell my apartment. And I sold my, in real life, I sold my apartment just before the crash. So thank God I, you know I got top dollar. And I moved down to a building, this is the building where I met my husband. So that's how it works it out. It was all planned.
0: And you did a nice job setting up a few of these characters. But I want to actually play those clips so we can connect what you were setting up with the actual okay. clip. So one of them you mentioned was is called She's a Keeper.
1: That's the woman, the the kept woman who's trying to tell somebody that this is a great way to go. Find a rich guy and let him take care of you.
0: OK, so let's hear a little clip from there.
1: So anyway. Here I am, no husband, no money, and somebody needs a job, right? And that would be me. (laughs) But what am I going to do? I mean, I didn't go to college. I don't have any special skills. But I am smart. And I know nice things. And I could shop. So I get a job at Saks selling shoes. Did you know that the shoe department at Saks has its own zip code? I kid you not, its own zip code. I guess shoes get a lot of mail. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that job was a killer. Nightmare, I'm telling you, nightmare. Okay, oh, I'm, I'm on my feet all day. I'm reaching up, I'm putting down, I'm bringing, I'm getting, I'm putting back, I'm putting away. Oh. And not a huge paycheck, on my dad. Is it worth the discount? Mm, hard to say.
0: So give me some thoughts on that clip that we played.
1: So what she does is she gets this job selling shoes and somebody very mean comes in. And when I say I, I would weave in things from my life, there was somebody I worked for who was so mean. She just tortured me. And so I sort of brought her personality in here that she's she's yelling at her and she's speaking to her in a way that is awful. And this woman stands up for herself, which I didn't do till I finally had to leave that job. But my thoughts about, you know, I have to tell you, I put so much thought into this show and talked about it forever. And I was hit with COVID. And I thank God I wasn't in the hospital. I was home. But I was sick for close to three months. And I didn't know what I was going to be. Can I walk? Can I run? Can I dance? And I made a deal with myself and Hashem. And I said, when I get over this, when I get over this, I'm going to finally do my show. So part of my listening to this is I did it. And now I'm editing it to, I'd like to find a producer, because I produced it also, to bring it back to L.A. and bring it to New York as well. Because it's, you know, it's uh, 65 minutes of me singing, acting, all different characters. And the response was amazing. Like, I got phone calls through the night. I can't, I mean, she's me. I can't (laughs) believe you did this. I had no idea who you were, because... I had a career in New York that was vast, and I moved to LA, and it was really about making a life with my husband, doing voiceovers, being a mom, and really enjoying my the life being with the um, part of the happy minion, you know, for for Shabbos and Chagim, and nobody knew what I could do, so people were really shocked and surprised and happy and. It made me feel good, and I said to my son, I may be away more, I may be away at night, but it's time for me to now jump into this that I've been waiting because it was very important for me to be here for you. And my son said, Mommy, it's, it's okay. Do what you need to do. I, <laughs> I know you'll be here for us.
0: No, beautiful. Very supportive by your son. Yes. So we, And we also have a second clip you sent us from the cleaning lady. So let, let's let hear that one, and then you can tell us what you just heard.
1: Okay. Work and luck come together to make success, and I work harder because I'm woman and immigrant. I grow up in Hungary and Brazil. Wife of diplomat. Yes, I have... Uh, cook, maid, driver, everything. But husband, he beat me. Tell me always I'm no good, worthless, ugly, so I have to live him. You know, it's either get out or get dead. So, <laughs> not choice, really. So, one day, i take all silver and jewelry and i sell for ticket to America. Have only $5 in pocket, but I have hope. Without hope, you have no life. With hope, who knows what happened
0: next? So, I think our listeners are getting a sense of your range as they would think that's a completely different person right now. <laughs>
1: Yeah, all three were very different. I wore different wigs. I had one dress, but I would put different accessories on. My body language was different, but that's being an actor. It's becoming that person. Uh, What's interesting is when I told a friend of mine that I was finally getting out of this bad marriage, my first one, she said to me, without hope, you have no life. I just pulled from these things from my life and would sit down and they just come out of my hand onto the paper. And it's funny because my husband would go through, sometimes I'd work in the dining room, go through the kitchen and he would hear me, well, uh, I get the cleaning lady. (laughs) Okay. And so I'd be doing, and he wouldn't say a word. And one day I said, what did you think of all these voices coming out? He goes, I thought you were writing, which you were. (laughs) And I don't interrupt a writer when she's writing. So talk about like being on the same page. But a lot of this character, as I said, I wove my, my own experiences in, but she had no one to turn to. And she turned to God.
0: And by the way, we've covered so many different multifaceted sides of you, but in doing my research on you, there's one piece we didn't get into, which is knitting. And that's like a whole world of its own that I see that you're involved in. So I just wanted to hear a little bit about that side of you.
1: Well, yes, I I learned to knit when I saw a sweater. Then when we couldn't have children, the first marriage, I, I couldn't stand being upset. So I became, I said, I have to make the most beautiful things that I can and celebrate these children. And then I learned, uh, I was on a plane coming back from Scotland and learned a new method, which I couldn't see anywhere. And I took that method and learned ancient methods about yarn and I I created my own knitting method. I called the knitting pretty method. And then I made DVDs, which I still have, but I also became a healer. And it is the, to me, the most important thing that I do. I studied with master healers, one of whom was orthodox, and I have a thriving practice where people come to me with either physical problems, trauma, emotional issues. I have a a website called jillthehealer.com that really explains more of this, but I wash before I work, I daven before I work. I usually have mostly Jewish clients I like that they know that I wouldn't say or do anything that is against the Torah. I have male and female clients that have permission to work with me. And I'm still knitting.
0: (laughs) I'm sure you are. (laughs) So we always close our interviews with the lightning round, so I'm going to ask you some fast questions to close things out. Are you ready?
1: I am ready. Wait, one sip of water. And go.
0: (laughs) Okay, (laughs) so you mentioned all these different types of performing that you do. So who are some of the people that you admire and look up to that are performing today in any of the different ways that you currently perform?
1: Caroline Ray is a great comic. I think Chris Rock is great. Uh, Mark Schiff is wonderful. I don't see a lot of stand-up these days, but those are the people that I will absolutely listen to. Caroline Ray is always clean and always hilarious. Judy Davis and Julianne Moore and Helen Mirren Whenever they're performing, I think Lily Tomlin is fantastic. I basically do what she does, which is you take the comic writing and the stories and the characters. I saw her when I first came to New York and I said, do I really deserve to be on the stage after seeing what that is? And I think the answer is yes.
0: (laughs) Okay. Second question. Do you have a special ritual or something you do before a live performance to get your mind right or to relax?
1: So I had... Some interesting difficulties with some staff before my show, and then Omicron hit. So the people that were supposed to be there and the professional people again, I say Hashem, it's all planned, okay. And I have a warm up with my uh, with my vocal coach Ruthie, and then I sit and I get very very still, and I just drop my energy down and I open up my heart. And before this last show that I did, I looked in the mirror. I could hear the whole audience. And I looked in the mirror and I said, this is your writing. This is your story. No one else could tell it better than you. And they're all waiting to hear it. And then I went down the stairs and I had a wonderfully enjoyable performance.
0: Okay, so last question. So I'm talking to you from New Jersey and I've never had a Los Angeles Shabbos. So is there some kind of signature dish going on on the West Coast that I don't know about that's served on Shabbos?
1: I don't know. All I know is we don't do all the kugels and everything that that I find in New Jersey and New York. We're a little more health conscious, if I may say it. I always make sure I do a vegan entree because I'm mostly vegan, always avocado you will find (laughs) guacamole which you will not find on the east coast on every shabbos table and hearts of palm and many many salads like i found in new york there's a salad you'll find many different varieties of a green salad lots of so there's more vegetables and we always end with a fruit rather than a cake there's lots of of fruit It's funny that you should ask that because I know when I go back and I'm with people in New York, it's like, ah, Kugel, (laughs) how I missed you, little oil sponge. But uh, (laughs) here (laughs) we're we're sort of a little more health conscious. People are outside and it's, it's California, dude. So like we do more stuff like California.
0: So Jill, you are out of the lightning round and I want to thank you for joining me today on Saturday to Shabbos.
1: Thank you, Jeff. It was an absolute pleasure.
0: Saturday to Shabbos is produced by Gary Wallach. Our theme music is by Paul Uden. To learn more about us, please visit tachlismedia.com. That's T-A-C-H-L-I-S-Media.com. Tell us what you think about what you've heard or suggest a -A 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 story we should know about by emailing shabbos at tachlismedia.com. I'm Jeff Cohen. Thanks for listening. Please check with us often for more stories of inspiring Jewish journeys. Saturday to Shabbos is a Tachlis Media podcast.